Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning as we continue the series called Bad Dates, Roommates, and Soulmates. Two weeks ago, uh, Roddy started our series challenging us to start by looking at ourselves. And we looked at the uh, book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and the, the love chapter. You know, relationships can be wonderful experiences and in a matter of a second or two, they can become very difficult circumstances, right? They can be, relationships can be messy. They can be uh, emotionally charged and sometimes they can just be good for the soul. They can, they, they can be calming for the soul. You know, we are looking at this series and we're asking you to consider your role in relationships. So Johnny started with starting by looking at ourselves. You know, really, you know, we can make blame to how other people are treating us. We can, we can say, well, if only she treated me differently or if he said kinder words to me, I would respond differently. But really, the challenge was of trying to live out the Spirit through love, trying to live out 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and really focusing and starting with yourself being who you should be, how God wants you to be in relationships. You know, I'm sure you've heard this before at our church, our core values being to love God fully and to love others deeply. We, we say that a lot here. About We at church here at CCC want to focus on loving God fully and then loving others deeply. And we also talk and we emphasize about having healthy relationships. So this series of bad dates, roommates, and soulmates is really talking about relationships. I believe that God intends for us to have meaningful relationships, and I think we as humans long for that in our life, to have meaningful relationships and friendships with other people. To get past the fluff and the surface that we often want to hide behind, and to go deep, develop honest, impactful, meaningful friendships with others. So today we're going to talk about the core idea of making God your first love and then letting him guide you to real love. What does that look like in my life? Making God my first love and then letting him guide you to real love. We're going to talk about what to do and look for and how to prepare yourself and when to know when it's right to date today. And I have to be honest with you, as I've been preparing over the last couple of weeks, that I'm a little nervous about discussing this topic with you as it seems to be a, a fun topic or a light topic. And honestly, in this church right now, our church and we as brothers and sisters are going through a, a hard time. We're going through a difficult time, but I have to remind myself that God has allowed us to be here this morning and he knew several months ago who would be here, how we would be feeling in the moment, and then also the message that he's planned for us here. And so I'm going to try to give him my emotions and my awkwardness and pray that I'll speak and say the words that he has for us to hear this morning as we talk about dating. Dating can be a time filled with excitement, can it be? A time of anticipation, strong emotions, and yes, awkwardness, right? How many of you have been part of a dating relationship or a dating experience that has gone awkward fast? Can you raise your hand? Yeah, I have. I found a few good examples of awkward dating opportunities. So let's look at the first one. You ready? So it's awkward first dates. We went out to a movie. The movie ended and we turned around to find his parents and brothers sitting right behind us. 
Don't raise your hand if that happened to you. But I can tell you that there's probably two, two uh, categories of people in here, right? People that have said, how dare that parent do that? That's terrible. How, would they, how could they do that, break that trust? And then there's another camp, probably more like me, that'd be like, yeah, that's exactly what I would do. In fact, why would, I wouldn't let them go on a date and think they're by themselves. I'd sit between them. I'd go with them on that date, right? A few, a few weeks ago, and as we talk about this, obviously I have, if you know, if you know our family, I have, I have children in this age group of 18, 16, 14, and almost 12. And so we are talking about dating we were talking about this topic very frequently in our home. And, uh, and so I asked them, and, and asked them for permission to talk in general terms about this. And so um, I'm going to share a story about it. A couple, a couple weeks ago, one of my children um, asked if she could... Oh, I said it. She could. <laughs> asked if she could go do something with somebody that she liked. And I said, yeah, honey, I, I will uh, give you that opportunity, and I'm going to give you a little bit extra rope here in the trust rope, if you know what I mean. And in this moment, um, you know, I, I'm going to give you this trust. So where are you going to be? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Who are you going to be with? And I asked the normal parent questions. And then as we, were, as we were pulling up to this destination, the question was asked, because we only had an hour and 15-minute window, she, she knew I was not going to be going home. She says, where are you going to be going? And I said, I don't know. And I just let it sit there. And she said, oh, come on, Dad, where are you going to go? I said, I don't know. I might be in my car. I might be across the street in a parking lot waiting. I might be going and getting a haircut. I don't know. And then if you really want to get creepy about it, and I like to mess with my kids sometimes, I started to sing the police song, Every Move You Make, Every Breath You Take, I'll Be Watching You. <laughs> and uh, I teased her in that. But honestly, you know, as parents, we find ourselves in this situation where we are trying to protect, we're trying to care for, we're trying to lead as best we know how in the moment as parents. And so um, I can relate to, to that example. Another example of awkward dates. At the end of our first date, I asked if she wanted to go out again. And she said she was going to take a break from dating for a while. <laughs> That's awkward. And then lastly, I like this one. I said, uh, I once took a girl to Starbucks because I forgot her name. Now that's pretty, that's pretty smooth. That's slick. I give that guy some creds for thinking quickly, right? <laughs> um, you, know, you may be asking yourself, why would we as a church be taking a Sunday morning to talk about dating? Wouldn't it be better if we discussed this in youth group or maybe in young adults? As a teenager, in the, in, you, know, you may be sitting here saying to yourself, I sure am glad that my dad is not on the stage talking about dating, because <laughs> that is awkward. But the truth is, we have many in our church that are single. Here in the U.S., the chances of getting married before the age of 40 for, for women is 86% and 81% for men. So this applies. Most single people here now will be married at some point in your life. Many of us have kids or grandkids who are or will be dating in the future. So this message applies to us as we lead, and as we give advice, as we help in that process. And there are some of us that are married 
who may find yourself dating again in the future through the loss of a spouse or through a marriage that has fallen apart. Marriage is the second biggest decision anyone will ever make. The biggest decision anyone could make is to embrace Christ as your Savior and forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. But marriage is a life changer. You are no longer solo. When you stand at the altar and you vow before God and vow before that other person, you give them your life. You give them part of your life and there is a new set of rules, a new set of responsibilities in life. And so this time in your life in which you are thinking and considering about dating is a very important time in your life because it will change your life. Our culture gives all wrong types of messages and priorities and values on dating and relationships. And we hope to be able to speak into that this morning. So the key concept or the key thought for this morning is making God your first love and then letting him, allowing him to guide you to real love. What does that statement mean? You could say it, we could say that you need to find your identity and security in God's love. Or another way of saying is maybe you really can't love someone else until you can understand and embrace God's love for you. You know, entering into dating is allowing yourself to say, God, I trust you in this area of my life. And sometimes that's not easy to say, God, I trust you and I put you first in this area of my life, especially when it revolves around the emotions of the heart. The emotions can get cloudy, the emotions can be crazy. And this is a time in which we encourage you to put God first and make him first in this part of your life. This morning we're going to look at the book of Genesis and hear the story of how Isaac and Rebekah became husband and wife. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn there. It's on page 9 of the Bible in the seat back in front of you. And we're going to read Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. Verse 1 begins and says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out for Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So Abraham was called by God to be part of a bigger story. God promised Abram that he would be part of a great nation. I will make you into a great nation. And we know this today is the nation of Israel where the Messiah, Jesus Christ, came from. So Abram has this blessing, this opportunity to be used of God in a special way. And he comes 
towards the end of his life, and his son is not married. And so if, you, if we turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 24, here is the story of how this marriage is arranged. So if you would turn there, we're going to read the story. In chapter 24, verse 1, it says, Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, who he currently lived with, among whom I'm now living, but will go to my country and my, my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. So we'll stop right there. Putting your hand under someone else's thigh in that time was not an incredibly awkward thing to do in our society. That would be a very awkward thing to do. But think of it as an opportunity for you as buddies. If, you're, if your friend says, I dare you, and, you come, and your other buddy says, I double dog dare you, as a guy, what do you got to do? If you accept that challenge, it is life or death. I mean, right, you've got to fulfill that challenge, being double dog dared in something. Or another way of maybe trying to say in our time and culture, if you, if you are called to be a witness in court, you have to stand before, in front of the courtroom, put your hand on the Bible and say, I solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. This is right here, Abraham is saying to his top servant, the guy he trusted most, I need you to promise me something. So we'll continue. Verses 3 and 4, it says, I want... You to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I'm living, but will go to my country and my relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. So he says, I want Isaac to marry someone in my family, not a Canaanite woman, not a woman of this culture. In those days, marriages would be arranged you know, a dad would get together with another dad and say, I've, I've noticed your daughter. And he'd say, I've noticed your son. I think that they would be good together. I'd like to propose that I will give you five camels and three goats and four shekels of coins, and we were going to make it an arrangement for our children to get married. In that culture, that was what happened. So how many of you are glad that we're not living in that culture? Yeah. I know my kids are very glad we're not living in that culture, but that's the culture of that time where marriages were arranged. And so Abraham is sending his most trusted servant to make this arrangement and to go and try to find a wife for his son. So in verses 9 through 10, we continue the story. And so the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. And the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels loaded with all kinds of good things from his master he set out for Aran Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. So we see here that he's now traveled to Abraham's village, you know, where he's from, where his family's from, and he has this job and agenda and this, this important opportunity to find a wife. And so we see in the next slide, we see that he arrives. And he said he had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was towards evening, the time the women go out to draw water. And then he prayed, Lord God of my master, Abraham, make me successful today 
and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside the spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar, that I may have a drink. And she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. But this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying this prayer, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. This woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. And quickly she lowered the jar to her hands and gave him him a drink. After she gave him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have had enough to drink. So he quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. And when the camels had finished drinking, this man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten ten shekels. I find this interesting. You know, she... Did, I mean, God answered this prayer exactly the way he asked it. You know, water, giving, giving somebody water is one thing, but ten camels who are thirsty is another thing. You know, it's estimated that a thirsty camel that hasn't had water to drink for a week could drink up to 25 gallons of water. So that's a lot of well drawing. That's a lot of watering that this young lady did. You know, when, you, when we see here that when the camels were finished drinking, he took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels, and he gave those to her. She understood what that meant. In that culture, that meant, this is for you. I intend to ask for you to be in a relationship. And so that in that, in that day was like us changing our Facebook status to in a relationship, right? And she accepted it. So I find this, I just find it very interesting. So as we, as we continue uh, talking about this, this, this servant, I'm going to skip some verses here, but the servant basically said, where do you live? I'd like to talk to uh, the men of your household. And um, she said, well, I live this way. And as, as they walked this way, as she went to visit uh, her brother Laban and her father Bethuel, the servant shared his entire experience from start to finish, how God had directed and how God had answered. And we see that in verses 49 through 52. It says, he's talking to the men of her household, father and son, and says, now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me, so I may know which way to turn, after he had recounted the story of how God had led these events. Both Laban and Bethuel answered, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. It's clear to us that God has been in this. Here is Rebecca. Take her and go, and let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord, knowing that he had made it clear and provided. So after the reading, the story of Genesis 24, we see that in that culture, it's, it's a very different way of getting a spouse than our culture today but I do believe there are some important principles that we can apply to dating in 2018 that I want to share with you this morning. 
So let's look at these four points in advice advice and dating. Very simply, stop. Look. Look. And then listen. So stop, look, look, and listen. What do I mean by stop? What I mean by stop is stop and ask for God's help. Being this is going to be the second most important decision of your life. Stop and ask for God's help. The servant prayed in verse 12. He took on this instruction, this promise to Abraham, and he stopped and asked for God's help. Asking for God's help is always the place to start. Praying for wisdom, that you would be able to walk in this adventure, and it is an adventure, seeking his wisdom. Pray for contentment. Not rush into something, but wait on God to open doors. The first person to come into your life may not be the right one. You don't have to know the when, the where, the how, but only to trust and to rest that God will bring you the right one in his time. You should also pray for self-control as you begin the dating process. Don't allow passion and emotion to drive our decisions. Pray that you would see the entire process with the eyes of reality. Love is blind, right? Love can be blind. We've heard that. And a lot of times when we're in a relationship, it's so hard to be led by emotions and led by our feelings and not the truth. So pray Say, God, I'm going to stop right now before I enter into this, this time of my life. Part of making God my first love and allowing him to guide me in real love is stopping and saying, God, I'm putting you first and I'm going to ask for your help in this. Make it clear to me. Secondly, look in the right place. The servant, where did he go? Well, he went to where he was instructed. He went to The relatives of Abraham, one, didn't go and look in the Canaanite culture. He looked in the right place, and then after he got there, he said, okay, where is the probability of me being able to find a young lady? And and that was at the well, at dusk, when the the young ladies came outside the city to get water. He looked in the right place. Abraham didn't want a daughter-in-law from the Canaanites. And we need to put ourselves in places where the chances are pretty good. This is probably not 2 a.m. at the club, right? Followers of Christ, look for someone else who is a committed follower of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, chapter 2 verses, I'm sorry, chapter 6 verses 14 through 16 says this about, Paul talks about Believers and unbelievers marrying, and he says, Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do, what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Think of a follower of Christ and an unbeliever getting married. Think of this and then trying to do life together. And I'll give you a couple examples, okay? It's like you're operating off of, you're, you're, you're trying to drive a car, your marriage is a car and you've got two different GPS systems. You've got two different GPS systems, and the, one, and the one system is saying, let's go to church. And the other system 
The other system is saying, no, Sunday is for sports and for hobbies and for, you know, and, and having fun. Or let's give to others or let's give and, 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 uh, and care for others. And the other spouse is saying, no, let's keep our money and buy a vacation home. Or let's raise our kids to follow God. No, let's raise our kids to get good grades and make money and be star athletes. You know, operating on two different GPS systems, two different types of foundations, or two different values is difficult, and sometimes near impossible. And so being yoked or, or making it a priority to follow somebody or to, to, to date somebody that is a follower of Christ is extremely important. The enemy will try to draw you into a relationship that will stop the forward progress of your faith, and it will stop you from passing it on to the next generation. Let me repeat that. The enemy will try to draw you into a relationship that will stop the forward progress of your faith and stop you from passing it on to the next generation. When that happens, it's a win for him. So where should we look? We should look into the church. We should look in our faith community. We should look for people. As one person said, gave the advice, run as fast as you can towards God, and if someone is keeping up with you, introduce yourself. Right? Put your heart to God first. And if you see somebody else that has that same heart, is following after God and is interested in putting Him first and following after Him, introduce yourself. So stop, look, and then look again. Look beneath the surface. Look beneath the surface. Why did the servant do the experiment? Why do you do the experiment of asking for water and then praying that this individual would do more than that. He's looking for more than just an outward appearance. Scripture says she was beautiful. He was looking for character. He was looking for a young lady that was willing to go beyond her own comfort and ease to be a servant and a blessing to somebody else. Character was more important than physical appearance. Eventually, the other person's physical appearance is going to change, right? So, when we're dating, we have these ideas of, oh, I have to have someone who is gorgeous or hot or, you know, you know not a 10 or a model or whatever. And that's great. And I'm not saying you should not be attracted to somebody. Obviously, you should be attracted to somebody. But chasing after that idea of physical appearance is something that's going to change. First Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 4 talk about that. It says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. We're all going to get old. We're all going to get wrinkled. We're all going to start to sag, and we're all going to start to fade. It's reality. It's, it's life of getting old. This is why we must prioritize character over physical appearance. In marriage problems, the, store, the source of problems is almost never a lack of attractiveness. It's a lack of character. And so this takes great time and attention to get past the first date, right? The first dates are opportunities for us to worry about image management, where we're able to see Getting past the first date is where we're able to see past 
the first date and see who people really are. To get past the outward shell and be able to glimpse into the soul and be able to see the character of an individual. Sometimes dating seems like a chess match when, where you're pretending to be something or someone that you are really not. I came across some advertising slogans that probably are truthful about the actual product. We call them let's be honest slogans. And so I want to share a few of these with you because I, you know, in dating sometimes this is how we are. So hamburger helper really means mom's tired, right? <laughs> Netflix means more time searching than actually watching. That's totally true for me. I get so frustrated with that. My kids love this one, Monopoly. A great way to ruin friendships. <laughs> Best Buy. Try it out before buying it on Amazon. And this one's cruel, but it's true. Girl Scout cookies are guilt trip cookies. You know, so many times we package ourselves up a certain way and try to, try to give ourselves a slogan of who we are, and we don't give ourselves enough time to be honest and get below the surface, the surface to see who we really are. If we rush into marriage and we rush into a relationship, you may not have the time to really look beneath the surface and to get to know the character, the strengths, the weaknesses, the likes, the dislikes, the spiritual and the emotional support or being of that person. So questions to ask yourself as you're looking beneath the surface is, does this person that I like follow through with commitments? Are they a person of their word? Do they seek to be served or do they seek to serve? Do they treat other people well? Not you. Do they treat the person that's serving them at the restaurant well? Do they hold doors for people as you walk, as you walk through doors? Do they treat their parents and their friends well? Are they greedy or are they generous? Do they forgive or do they hold grudges? These are all important questions to ask yourself. So stop, look, look, and then fourthly is listen to trusted voices. This servant went back to the home and spoke with the father and the brother, shared the experience, shared how God had led, and then affirmed the decision that it was God's will. So listen to trusted voices, not to your heart. You may say, my, my heart knows best. Listen, your heart can be an emotional idiot. Right? Hearts that are hopped up on hormones often do not make good judgment decisions. And I think we need to be honest and, and, and realize that. You need people in your life who know you well and love you a lot, who are willing to give you their honest and loving advice. So ask yourself, who are the trusted, godly people in my life and what do they think of this relationship? Matt Chandler, who's a pastor and an author, gave this advice. One sure way to walk in foolishness is to date someone who troubles the godly counsel in your life. I'll repeat that. One sure way to walk in foolishness 
is to date someone who troubles the, go- the godly counsel in your life. So I want to take a couple minutes and I want, to, I want to talk to parents and grandparents for a little while. Because dating is something that maybe you're past, but now we're entering into it with our children or our grandchildren. And I want to say a few things. Number one, get involved and be present. You know, talk to your kids about dating early and often. Get them to church and make it a priority. Have your kids fully engaged in the life of our church. You know, this begins in elementary school. From our, from our side, uh, from, from you know, Krista and I, again, we have kids that are senior all the way down to sixth grade. We were shocked as to how early we faced this as parents. My son, who is 11, soon to be 12, has been asked two different times by young ladies if, if he will marry them. I'm serious. Now, they were doing this in an innocent way, but this was when he was seven, eight, nine, that these type of things are being brought into their life. Um, a few years ago, we sometimes will look at our, children's, uh, our, our kids' phones at night to see what type of content and what type of te- texting is going on in communication. And I was not ready for this. This, this smacked me right in the forehead. I couldn't believe that one of my children was already at that place where somebody was texting saying, good night, baby cakes. For me, as a dad, I'm like, what is happening? Like, I, I can't believe that we're already there. And this happens way earlier than I think we expect it and anticipate it, especially with these devi- the devices that we're dealing with. The casual conversation and the quick conversation happens really fast. So if you think that you're waiting until 14 to talk about these type of situations, you're, you're going to be in for a surprise. I'd encourage you, we try to make talking about dating and talking about relationships and talking about this topic part of our dinner conversation in a very casual way. We want it to be safe, we want it to be healthy, and we want to talk about it early. Not waiting until my, my, my child is dating at, and in, at, in ninth or 10th grade, because it's just too, it's too late. Start early. So get involved and be present. Secondly, you be the parent. What do I mean by that? You set the parameters, and if you don't, society, peers, and culture will. So for us as, as, as parents and grandparents, you be the parent. Set the parameters where society, peers, and culture will. Get to know who your son or, or daughter likes and wants, or wants to date. Ask questions as to why they like a certain person. Answers like, because they're hot or because they're, they're really funny. Or those are opportunities and windows for you to be able to say, well, what does that mean? Tell me a little bit more about that. Why are you attracted to that? And there are opportunities for you in a safe way to be able to talk to your, to your children about it. So be the parent. Ask questions as to why they like certain people. And then thirdly, encourage friendships first and a friendship base before dating. What I mean by that is that it's so easy for our, you know, so easy for somebody to like somebody and all of a sudden they're sitting by themselves at the lunch table. And then they're sitting by themselves in the, in, in the bus and all of a sudden it's, they're all exclusive and just the two of them and they put all their, all their love and all their compassion and all their relationship and everything is in this, this one individual. 
And then that changes. And all of a sudden, there's not a friendship based of support. There's not something there. And so what we're, we're encouraging and I'm encouraging is friendships first that build into broader-based relationships. Friendship-based dating. Or group dating. Opportunities where you can get to know a lot of people and not be so exclusive so early. Dads, I'm going to talk to you for a second, all right? Interview the boy who wants to date your daughter. I know this takes courage. I know this is awkward. But love your daughter enough to interview him. And when I say that, share expectations as to how to set the bar and keep him accountable. You know, a few, uh, a few years ago, somebody was interested in one of my kids and I sent him a text and I said, oh, actually, I, I do this a lot. So I sent him a text and say, hey, you know, so-and-so is not old enough to, to, to be your boyfriend and girlfriend. Um, I'm sorry, you know, you just got to be friends. You know, but you can't be boyfriend and girlfriend. I hardly ever get a response. I don't know why. <laughs> I hardly ever get a response from a young man or a young lady, ever, as a dad. But one time I did. And I'll tell you what, I got a response. Hey, Mr. Nice, thanks so much for reaching out to me. I totally get what you're saying. I really like your child, and I want to I make sure that I protect their heart. It was basically what I asked, and they came back and said, gotcha, we're accountable. And I'll tell you, from a dad's perspective, I was like, yes, that's awesome, thank you. For a young person to have that courage to say, yes, I care enough and have enough character to get back to that dad and say, yeah, okay. That was a lot for me as a dad. Young men, ask permission of a dad. Ask what the expectations are. What are the rules? Allow yourself to be accountable to a father. You know, a few resources that we have found in our family to be very helpful is through Family Life Ministries, through Dennis Rainey's ministry and one is Passport to Purity. And that was an opportunity that we've been able to walk through each of our children with Passport to Purity and talk about not just their purity, but also guidelines in dating and how they were going to navigate that when it became right for them. And then secondly, I have read through, again, Family Life Ministries, a book called Interviewing Your Daughter's Date. And I know it takes a lot of courage, guys, to be able to, to do that. Um, but to be, able to, 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 to be able to sit down and talk through this with, uh, with a young man, I think it's very important to be able to interview, and, and I'm not saying interrogating your, 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 your daughter's date, but interviewing him and getting to know him. So I'm going to talk to singles for a, for a couple minutes as we close. You know, this world will tell you to follow your heart, but I'm going to encourage you to, pray, to prayerfully and patiently Follow God's leading. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. And when it says, when all your ways, we're talking about each part of your life, including dating, including relationships. Live for him. So in all your ways, live for him. And he will direct your paths. This world will also tell you if you're lonely, you should drop your standards. But the truth is that God walks with you. You are never alone. 
He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He promises that in his word. He will always give you the strength to resist temptation. This world will also tell you that you need somebody to be somebody. But the truth is you have a Father in heaven that accepts you and loves you more than you will ever be accepted in person in this world. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 says, Love God with all your heart. Love him with all your soul. Love him with all your mind. And love him with all your strength. And if we can pursue God, and if we can make him our first love, I believe he'll allow us and he'll guide us to real love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time we've had to open your word and talk about dating, talk about relationships, Lord. Lord, we, um, we know that relationships are of you and, and first and foremost, you want us to have a relationship with you and put you first in our life, Lord. When we, when we trust you in our relationships, when we try to be the very best we can be through your spirit and we trust you in relationships, we believe that you are going to honor it. And Lord, as we walk through the scariness and maybe the exciting times and the scary times of dating, Lord, I pray that we would put you first and we would allow you to lead us into what you believe is true love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.